Welcome to the Hoosie Podcast with me, Phil. And me, Paul. And on this week's show, we'll be discussing the latest in the Destiny of the Doctor audio range, Death's Deal. But first, let's have some news. And, well, we actually, it was the news, we've got some other things to talk about, because we, we've had uh, two visits to the BFI since we last recorded. Yes. Um, so, should we, should we do that after the news? Yes. Yeah, okay. let's do that, let's do that after. Okay. Um, yeah, there's a few interesting little uh, tidbits that come up. Uh, sort of like since uh, I sort of started putting the news items together, and today we sort of had uh, well another story about lost Doctor Who episodes being found, but this time it's actually in a national paper. Yeah. Uh, now it's originally in the Mirror, wasn't it? But that's in the Sunday People as well today. It's the, well, it's the Sunday People, yeah. Yeah, they're the same group, so it's put it's, it's the same article, basically. Basically, yeah, um, yeah. They're saying that um, basically, the article says a group of dedicated Doctor Who fans tracked down at least one hundred long lost episodes of the show, gathering dust more than three thousand miles away in Ethiopia. And it's yeah. a month, month after months of detective work. The text been unearthed at the Ethiopian Radio and Television Agency. And, yeah. and it says if the tapes return in time, the BBC hopes to announce the news during celebrations to mark Doctor Who's fiftieth anniversary next month. Uh, I believe it when I see it. Yeah, it's it's basically they someone's just got round to actually fill it. This probably it must it be a slow news week? I think it must be because this is reported on what months ago, wasn't it? Yeah, and but it's been going around, hasn't it? Yeah, months, and, anyway. and the guy who, uh, who who was sort of who was said that he he'd found these episodes. These, these what was it? How many containers that were shipped up to Liverpool yeah. or something? And yeah, we've been through all this, haven't we? Exactly. And he said at the time, you know, stop asking me. You know, I have not found any episodes. That's the end of the matter. And here we are again. It's all been dragged up. I think they've been trawling the forums again, haven't they? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's all a friend of a friend knows a BBC insider, isn't it, story? So Yeah. Um, and it sort of says the BBC's negotiating to get them back right now. Uh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I cannot believe any of this at all. Cannot and as I say until I have got the DVDs in my hand. Yes, I will not believe any of it. Really, it's uh, it's it's nice to think that you know a hundred long lost episodes have been found, but it's not going to happen, is it? No, it, it is it is the, the the eternal quest, isn't it? It is. Well, that sounds like a Doctor Who story. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I mean the thing is, I mean, okay, there could be some truth in the fact they might find one hundred. Missing episodes, but it's not to say that they're going to be returning any fit state to use. No, you know they might, they might have sort of. It might be like sort of like the end of Race of the Lost Ark, when they open up the ark, it's, it's just full of dust. They could have loads of film canisters of all these missing episode titles when you open them up, and it, it's all crumbled. You know, it's just I, 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 you don't know what the conditions are they've been kept in, if at all they've ever been found. You know, that's yeah. the oh. Well. We'll wait now until it's actually announced. Indeed, (laughs) indeed. Now, uh, talking of um, other, well, bizarre news as well, uh, Kate O'Mara wants to return as the Rani. (laughs) It wasn't a question of, we don't know what condition it's in. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Yes, it's crumbled to dust. Um, Yeah, she says she would love to uh, return, um, and she 
this is an interview with Digital Spy. Uh, she said, I would love to come back. I have white hair now, but a lot of it, and I'm still very glamorous, so I won't disappoint, I hope. Uh, yeah, I don't actually think it's necessarily how she looks that would disappoint. <laughs> uh, well, no, actually, her looks always disappointed me, actually. I've never seen her as glamorous, <laughs> to be honest. It's nothing to do with age. Um, <laughs> no, I don't see it. She says, I'll still be wearing the tight leather trousers and high heel boots, regardless of what age. That's what the fans are expecting, so that's what you've got to give them. That's been your motto, though, hasn't it, for the last few years as well? It has. <laughs> give them what they want. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, are the fans expecting this? No. <laughs> uh, I'd, I'd like to meet this fan who's who's been asking for this and ask them why. What's wrong with you? Um, yeah. She's. I mean, she's. I mean, she does actually make a good point. Um, you know, she's a much older woman and there's a huge population of older people. If they're watching television, they can't watch Hollyoaks, for argument's sake, because it is just geared towards youth, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but she's, she does say that if you put an old woman into Doctor Who, they can identify with it. Yeah, I, I've, yeah I've got no, no problem with that. It's just I wasn't that keen on her in it when she was younger. Yeah, so yeah. It's more her and the character rather than... No, I mean, I mean, just to pour an older water. actress. Well, exactly. I mean, just to pour water um, on her fire, really. Uh, Moffat previously stated, and they, they, and they, this article was paraphrased what he said. He said, uh, "No one knows who the Rani is. There's no point in bringing her back. If there's a line, it's probably there somewhere there." Yeah. So that pretty much sort of scotches that, really, doesn't it? <laughs> and the fact that they could just regenerate her. Well, pre- precisely. So, uh, but come on, it's, it's it's a villain that nobody's asking to come back. It's it's one of those things that uh, the press pick up on all the time as well. What I have just realised, looking through this article, is why this why why she's now saying this is because she's doing an evening with Kate O'Mara. Oh, a little bit of publicity, which is happening about half a mile away from me, <laughs> round the corner. What from where you work or where you live? From where I the Lady World Tavern. What? <laughs> this, is, this is where it's happening, Phil. So, what? So, so what? I've got Saturday, to... October the 19th. Look, we're all here. Oh, we'll be round my house. We can pop round there for 7pm. We can do this. Oh, God, no. What is happening to the world? She's doing a, <laughs> she's doing a one-man show in a pub. Oh, one in woman. Pub. One man. So that was a slip of the tongue. <laughs> a a one-woman show in the pub. My God. Have you yeah, ever, I, it's literally round the corner, team. Have you ever been in the Lady World Tavern? I, I must admit, I never have. Yes, I think Tony probably has dragged me in there at least once. Oh dear, oh dear. Okay, um, well, folks, if if you're in the the uh, Lewisham Lady World area, or oh, was it Saturday the nineteenth? Did you say Saturday the nineteenth? Uh, yeah, Saturday nineteenth October at seven pm. Um, head on over to the Lady World Tavern to see Kate O'Mara in a one woman show. <laughs> And you will be in the area, so why not? <laughs> I think you've got to go now. Can you report uh, back to us? Uh, no, I think I must be somewhere else that week. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That's that's amazing. That's amazing. Um, okay, let's quickly move on from that one. That's just that's scary. Um, now, it's um, McGann. Paul McGann. According to this article, he stirs up more 50th anniversary rumours about him actually being in the 50th anniversary. And this came from his own Twitter account. And it said, spent 40 minutes this PM having to uh, imitate Matt Smith's dramatic uh, delivery in, in VO or voiceover. You have been warned. 
Now, this sort of leads on to what happened at the BFI yesterday because someone asked him that question. Yeah. So could you elaborate on that? And basically, he's just saying it was just an experiment. He said he does a lot of voiceover work and he just tried to see if he could do a Matt Smith impression or to see how similar they sounded, and they didn't. And that was the end of it. Yeah. So, yeah, another... It still doesn't quite answer the question as to it was a weird... why they was asking people to do Matt Smith impressions. Yeah, it was a bit of a weird answer, to be honest. I still think that there is something... I think he has filmed something for the 50. That rumour was going around a long time ago, and we, we talked about it on here, didn't we? Yeah. So I think there is something to it. It wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise you, though, if they even just had voiceover bits. Yeah, it could be. You know, the... The d- doctor's hearing voices of his previous selves or something. I don't know. Yeah, no, it could be. It could be anything. We'll find out in a few weeks. How long to go now? About six uh, weeks, isn't it? Yeah, about six weeks Six now. weeks. Not long now, folks. Not long now. Ah, right. Okay. Now, there's two sort of, as to say, important items of news during the week. And the first one yesterday, that the filming was wrapped on the Christmas special. Yes. And cue lots of sad people on Twitter when that, when that announcement was, was made. I think that that's it now. Matt Smith is done. He is done with the role. Yes. Or, well, filming-wise, anyway. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, Marcus Wilson uh, tweeted, so it's good night from me, and it's good night from him. That's a wrap. Quis- Christmas? I've got a Roy Hodgson, everybody. Christmas 2013, <laughs> thank you all. Yeah. yeah. So that's it. And, and, and another, another era has ended. Yes. Yeah, it's quite sad, really. It's quite sad, but also exciting at the same time. Yeah. And we haven't even seen it yet, so... Ah, exactly, exactly. It's really exciting, because we're getting a new Doctor out of this as well, so I'm really yeah. looking forward to it. And I would, I would like to hope that they're not going to give away too much about this. Yeah. I mean, keep some secrets about this one, and you know, sort of like, and the nature of the Doctor's regeneration as well. Yeah. You know they won't. You know they're going to be, you know, release, oh, releasing it, it, teasers and God knows yeah. what. And it depends what they can get away with, really, doesn't it? Yeah, um, they will do. Yeah, that's it. Now the other news during the week, and again, it's it's sort of news that we we already knew, uh, but the BBC decided it, it was an event that needed a special announcement. Uh, they just confirmed the global broadcast or simulcast, as they're calling it. Yeah, and they're releasing sort of little photographs of the TARDIS in. Various locations around the world. So the one looking at now is, uh, I think it's like the TARDIS by a herd of elephant walking over the Serengeti Plains. Mm. Yeah. So. Is it collecting those 106 times? <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently, it, was it permanent in how many, how many, is it 73 countries, isn't it, or something? Yeah. Uh, not the, no, 75 it says here, sorry, 75. Um, but, but, but that's who signed up for it so far. Whether there's any more to go. I don't know, or or is that the maximum? We well, had this conversation before, and, I, and I've yeah. completely forgotten now, because um, they said over two hundred countries, and there isn't two hundred countries, is there? So, so yeah, it's it's well, it's stuff we really knew. Really, I don't know why it needed a special, a special announcement. It's just keeping everything going, isn't it? Now, yeah, actually, I suppose they're trying to keep it in the news without actually having to release anything new at the moment. Well, I suppose so. I suppose so, because the I mean, the other thing that happened. I think after we... Because we recorded early for last week, didn't we? Yeah. And the other thing that came up was this uh, new hashtag thing on Twitter, Save the Day, which I think is going to get tiresome very, very quickly. And a little sort of trailer as well, on, on which has been sort of airing quite frequently now during the week, mm. I, must, I must say, on the BBC. Uh, it's just the date with the TARDIS noise on it and Matt Smith's 
just saying the day of the Doctor. Yeah. Not much to get excited about. But again, people are there with sort of like, oh, we, why can't we have the trailer? We must have the trailer. Well, no, it's too early. It's far too early for that. Yeah. You start doing it now and people are just going to get bored with it. So that's you know, patience, people. It's coming. You've only got six weeks to wait now. And I reckon sort of like, give it another couple of weeks and you probably will get something, I, I think. Yeah, oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah, it's, it, then it will be the month of the anniversary. You know, so you, you'll get to use it. Yeah, it will start to trickle through. It's starting to trickle through now, but I don't see the point in having it on, you know, all the time. That's what people want. And it will just, people just get bored with it. Because then it will be, why can't we have a new trailer? Yeah, we've, <laughs> we've seen this one. We've seen this one so many times, can't we have a new one? So let's not bother with that then. Let's not bother with that. So that's it for the news, actually, isn't it? There's not a lot gone on. Uh, there's no tat corner this week, unfortunately. We haven't managed to track down any items of uh, of quality tat. No, and nothing that could. <laughs> well, nothing. That, nothing that could beat the, the the pumps from last week. Week, no, absolutely not. Uh, so really, BFI. Yes, BFI. Um, yeah, last week we went to the tenth Doctor uh, showing of uh, Stolen Earth and Journey's End. Which was quite good. It looked fantastic on the big screen, I've got to be honest. Yeah, we think we both actually enjoyed it to watch that, didn't we? Yeah, it still falls apart in the last 20 minutes. It's, yes. Uh, but until then, it's actually quite a good story. I, mean, I, I can't remember what we, what we said before on this, on this podcast. I think we, we were fairly kind to it, weren't we? Um, yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think it was just those last 20 minutes again, yeah. wasn't it? We just had that. Yeah. Uh, we had that problem with... Uh, I think that's... So we had Chris Burgess from Radio Free Scarrow talking about Journey's End with us. Yeah. If I remember rightly. So, yeah, that was, uh, yeah. So it was good. It was good to see. It was good to see. Um, and also the panel was very entertaining as well. Yeah, well, we thought, we thought it would be, didn't we, when we saw yeah. it yeah. was announced. So you had, uh, was it Graham Harper, Catherine Tate, David Tennant? Yeah. And, it, I mean, Catherine Tate was. And Phil Collinson. Oh, Phil Collinson. Yes, I've got Phil Collinson. Uh, I mean, again, all very, very good guests to have on. Catherine Tate was hilarious. Yes. Uh, it begins to make you think how much of that sort of ditzy, scatty persona she's put, she's, she has is sort of put on a little bit, especially when she sort of just says she doesn't know what Big Finish is. Yeah. Because she's just recorded something, from which we will be talking about <laughs> in, in this, week's, yeah. this week's podcast. Uh, yeah, uh, but she was funny. Some of the stories she was telling about filming, she's talking about... Uh, she actually thought when she filmed uh, the Poison Sky and the Sontaran stratagem uh, that the actors of the Sontaran costumes were actually animatronic. <laughs> she didn't realise there were people inside them. I I think that might be stretching it a little bit, to be honest. Yeah. I sort of think she was almost... You always thought, was she, was she talking about Daleks there? Because she goes, then they popped up the head. Well, a lot of them were wearing helmets. It's only Dan Stark yeah. and Chris... Uh, yeah, I suppose Chris, so, yeah. Chris Ryan had the... Uh, prosthetics on, yeah. So yeah, maybe they just sort of like pop the helmets off, and there was little, you know, yeah, little men underneath it, which she didn't realise. I just find that pecu- I just find that it, it was quite funny to listen to, though. Yeah, it was funny. Uh, David Tennant was good, uh, sporting a rather lengthy ponytail. Yes, uh, which was never explained, was it? So no. <laughs> he just said he was uh, filming Lamel's life story. Yeah, and if you don't know who Lamel is, there was an eighties pop band called Kajagoogoo. And the male was the lead singer. Had rather, that's uh, a unique hairstyle, didn't he? Yes. Yes. So yeah, it, it was. It was. It was good. It was good. Yeah, it was just an entertaining panel. Um, some good questions from from the audience, and it was a really really good afternoon, wasn't it? 
Yeah. You know, it's just a shame that um, this all come to the end because yesterday we went and saw the Eighth Doctor, uh, Paul McGann, and we had two panels for the price of one, which was, I mean, it, actually both the panels were really good, weren't they? Yeah. Uh, especially the first one, which had, let's get the names right, Marcus Hearn, Justin Richards, Gary Russell, Jason Hayery, Nicholas Briggs, Andrew Cartmel, and that was uh, chaired by Dick Fiddy. Yeah. From the BFI. And that was sort of covering the intervening years after the show got cancelled in 89 when it came back on, like, sort of like the books and the, and the audio stuff. And I mean, some of the, the stuff uh, that kept it going. Kept right? it going, yeah. yeah. And it was really, to begin with, it was like a labour of love for them because it was just, they were just fans doing unofficial audio dramas. Yeah. Uh, and the BBC, as we found out, weren't interested, were they? Well, to a certain interested enough to to keep it going, sort of thing. They they obviously did well. BBC Worldwide were. Yeah, I think that that was the big thing, wasn't it? That it was BBC Worldwide was was interested. Mm. BBC Television wasn't. No, because Gary Gary, um, Gary Russell told this story. He went to meet some. Uh, sort of border people at the BBC, and they said there's these three women sitting there, and he sort of pitched the thing, how about carry on Doctor Who in audio format, which they just turned around and said no. Yeah, really. there wouldn't be the market. Wouldn't be the market for it. So, uh, okay, fair enough. So they went off and did the Albany uh, Summerfield audios, just as a sort of proof of what they could what they could do with the format, really. And it was a success. They then got called back to the BBC. Gary, Gary Russell met the same three women who then pitched the idea to him that, that we've got this great idea that Doctor would be fantastic in audio format. It was amazing, wasn't it? Yeah. Absolutely amazing. It was, it was, but again, it, it was a really interesting panel, you know, and to get them all there on stage at the same time. Yeah, and they basically just great. let them discuss it rather than it wasn't a question and... No answer succession as such was it? It no. really was just the you were listening. Okay, to they're they're like a private conversation basically. Yeah, and they was arguing amongst themselves about whether they felt it was good or bad. Yeah, and um, when the TV show came back, and whether they thought the TV show would ever come back, and yeah, no, it's quite and it's quite surprising they're sort of admitting that they didn't think it would. Yeah, you know, and they they sort of talked about how how sort of like a a free hands they were given in doing the stories. But now, since the show's come back, they say they've got to follow all the BBC's compliance rules. Yeah. Which I find amazing. Um, but then they sort of like Russell T. Davis, when the show came back, actually said, well, he, he had to sort of give like almost like script approval, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, because that... he, he didn't want certain things. So that apparently they had a, an idea for a story with Queen Victoria. And he said, well, no, can you not use that? Because we're going to use that in the TV show. And they said the first series went by, no Queen Victoria. So again, they went back. Oh, can we use? Can we use her now? No, no, no. We're still going to use her. And of course, it happened in the in the second series. Yeah. So, but but then they're saying they sort of so with that six months they said the BBC were quite intricate. Because they had like seven. Well, they had like one person would sign it off. They had seven people. Yeah. All had to sign well, off on a story. But now they said it's sort of waned a bit again, isn't it? Yeah, I think once Russell T Davies said he was quite happy to let them get on with what they wanted to do. Yeah. And the BBC backed off, didn't they? Yeah, that's it. That's it. That was the end of it, really. But it is interesting to see how much sort of involvement the BBC does actually have. It's not just a case of having the licence. They they do, or did, maybe they will again, who knows. Um, but it seems to change with the winds, to be perfectly honest. But maybe they will sort of 
pay a bit more attention to what they're doing. Well, it seemed to be that whenever someone new got involved, they wanted to check everything, and then after about two months, they got fed up checking everything, so just let them get on with it. Yeah. yeah it it. seems to be more a case of, we can't be bothered, rather than, rather than they actually then just relax their attitude. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very, very strange thing they told us yesterday, I thought. It, it, was, just, yeah. it was just bizarre. Uh, but, but they also saying, um, I think it's all the things they're not allowed to do, they're not allowed to do like, regenerations. Well, they said they'd never tried to. No, it just never occurred to them because the question yeah. was asked. Are you? That's one of the things. You're, is that one of the, the BBC uh, sort of compliance rules? You're not allowed to do that. And they said, "We well, just never thought about it." I mean, the, the point is, if they're using old do- previous doctors as they from the classic series as they are, yeah, then the regeneration scenes for those have already been done. Yeah. So there's not really much scope to be able to do that. I mean, there's only one they could have done, isn't there? That's it. Well, they, they did say yesterday that the, the, the close they sort of got to it was when they did that Doctor Who Unbound series. Yeah. Where they sort of cast actors who had been sort of mentioned as, as being favourites to be the Doctor. Yeah, so to see like, what their Doctor so, would have been like. Yeah, that's it. Which I, th- I mean, I haven't listened to any of them. Uh, it's one of the things, again, I keep meaning to. There's just not enough hours in the, in the yeah. day, really, to do that. But... Uh, yeah, it's sort of let's say like an interesting experiment, but that was what ten years ago now or something, wasn't it? Yeah, but, yeah, they yeah. did that for the fortieth, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it was good. It was good. And then um, we got to watch Doctor Who the movie. Yes. Uh, do you know what? Which I still don't like. I'm sorry, I still don't like it. I think it's awful. Paul McGann's great, but the story itself, it's just really weak. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've just read, I really haven't got any love for that at all. Uh, I don't mind it. It's, it is just... It got a bit tied up in itself, didn't it? It did. It was trying to sort of reference as much Who lore as, as it possibly could. Well, it sort of did two things, didn't it? It tried to be tried to reference and then tried to strike out on its own as well. Yeah. Certain things and... Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't... It's, as I say, it's still not great. It's still not great. I mean, one thing that did surprise me... Or, or that's a surprise, but it sort of occurred to me yesterday... It's just how much RTD did actually borrow from that TV movie, even down to like the credits flying towards the screen. Yeah, uh, and also the look of the TARDIS on the inside, you know, with, with the um, sort of the arch pillars coming up and the time roads are reaching the ceiling, and, and, and you know, in, on the TARDIS console, it was. It, it, yeah, it's quite, I mean, that, that, yeah. that was the first idea that the TARDIS console would be huge. The, the TARDIS, the main room, would be huge, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. That's got carried into the the series as we have now. Yeah, so it did actually sort of like just never. I just never realised it unless I because we did a commentary on it and some time ago now, and I can't remember if I mentioned it then. But it, I mean, yesterday it could, again, I think it must have been seen on the big screen. Yeah, and especially so close to watching uh, the tenth Doctor last week. Uh, it's sort of like I think it's still fairly fresh in my mind. Sort of like the the way the titles used to be under RTD, and it was very, very similar. Very, very yeah. similar. So now after that, we got another panel, uh, this time with Jeffrey Sachs, who directed the movie, uh, Paul McGann and Daphne Ashbrook. Yeah, and this one actually, whether I was thinking about because this one sort of almost went into a conversation between the people rather than it being a question-and-answer thing. And actually thinking about it, I wonder if that's because they was watching the first one and thought, oh, that's how they're going to do it. You could be right there, actually. Because yeah. in the previous ones we've had, they've been very much... Um, a questions asked, answer, question asked, answer. Whereas yeah. this did become get more into a bit more into a discussion than some of the others. Yeah. And um, 
Paul McGann seemed to actually take over the interview role, didn't he, to some points? He did, actually, yeah. Actually, Marcus Herm was doing that in the first uh, the first panel a lot, wasn't he? Yeah, but that, that yeah. was set up, and you could see that um, they wanted to do that that way. Yeah. Oh, it, was, it, it, it worked well. I mean, because I think, uh, I say, Justin Johnson, he's not the best interviewer in the world, is he? Well, I think he's. I think he's caught. I think he's got a set of questions that he thinks needs to be asked at these events. That these are the standard questions that people will ask. They're going to do a Q and A afterwards, where they're going to ask people in the audience to ask questions. And I think his thought is, I need to be asking these questions because otherwise we're just going to get them in the Q and A. So let's get them out of the way, and then when the audience start asking, they can ask different questions that are to them. Yeah, the trouble is, it doesn't make for a good interview sometimes because I must admit there were times yesterday I thought McGann looked a bit bored with it and as you say until he started going all three of us started going off on their own tangents well it did so we sort of got into a bit where they almost seem to have I don't know if this is the first time all three of them have just been on a a stage together well there was because they started to ask each other questions about what did you think yeah they they did didn't they yeah and plus the fact Daphne Ashbrook had literally flown in especially yeah and she quite literally just got off the plane and come straight to the BFI, didn't she? I mean, especially from a convent by what she was wearing. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it was very sound of music, wasn't it? <laughs> but the one thing that did surprise me about the about the whole uh, the whole panel was apart from the fact I never realised Jeffrey Sachs was actually English. I just assumed he was American. Uh, was the fact that RTD actually asked him to come back and direct the opening two episodes of the Chris Eccleston's first series? Yeah. He said he actually got the scripts and everything, didn't he, yeah. to do, and yeah. then couldn't do it. Yeah, he, he committed to something else. Then they asked, and they did ask him again to do a Christmas special, and again he had to turn it down because he was already committed to something else. Yeah, that was the uh, Doctor the Widow, wasn't it? Christmas special. Yeah. We presume, because he said the Christmas special with Matt Smith a couple of years ago. So. Yeah, but yeah we're assuming it, it's, it's that one. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'd like to see what he, what he could have done with that. Yeah, I actually read the script and turned it down. No, yeah, <laughs> he was sitting at home, not busy at all. <laughs> I wish I could have read the script. That would have to bother bloody watching it. <laughs> oh dear, yeah. So that was that was quite interesting. I never realised that she sort of approached him uh, not once but twice. Yeah, and as he said, now perhaps they probably won't ask him again because they don't think he's interested. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's a shame. It's a shame, really. Um, I'd like to see what he what he could do, but the other thing as well, um, you would have thought it was a TV pilot, and over here it was treated as like a you know it was called Doctor Who the movie, and you'd assume there was a lot of sort of preparation and 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 time spent on it, but the whole the thing that seemed to permeate the whole production, there just wasn't enough time. No, and that seems to be something that's that sort of threaded its way throughout the entire history of Doctor Who. There's never enough time. It's always yeah, sort of I mean, like, Jeffrey like, Sachs talking about the fact that the sets had already been built by the time he was taken on as director. Yeah. So he had no say in that whatsoever, had he? And they said no. that the real sort of guiding light in all that was Philip Siegel. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, he was just sort of like, like a walking encyclopedia. Uh, but I, I think that might have been... I think that's the problem with it. It tries to tie itself far too much to whose history. Yeah. And dropping things like the Jelly Babies, the 500-Year Diary, the Sonic Screwdriver, etc., etc. So, yeah, I think that's that's the problem with it. I think we've. I mean, this has been discussed at length. I think yeah. by ourselves anyway, and and um, 
sort of various other blogs and, and podcasts. So, you know, it's, it's it's nothing new to discuss. But but just to hear it from from them just sort of reaffirms everything, doesn't it? Yeah. But no, it was it was still very very entertaining, and it's a shame that there's well, it's coming to an end. Yeah. To be honest, it's coming to an end now. It's a shame. And you see Paul McGann, and you just think, actually, he could, he can still pass for that doctor as well. Yeah. And you're just thinking, why? Well, I mean, we were saying whether he is or not, was or not in the 50th, but why he couldn't have been given a more, even prominent, a prominent part in the 50th. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, don't because, know why. I don't know. It just seems to be... He, doesn't, he hasn't aged at all, has he, to be honest? No. He still looks very, very good for his age. And... And the other thing as well, he said about the. Um, well, he co- certainly. He, well, he still certainly looks exact. Looks like the doctor that he played. I mean, you you would recognise him from that. Yes, right. But I was going to say, uh, he he said about the doctor's costume that wasn't what he wanted. That was sort of like foisted upon him. Yeah. He wanted to. He wanted to look like Chris Eccleston. That was his yeah. idea. Well, uh, he, he said that that's what they was going to move to, wasn't it? Yeah. But the co- I mean, and, and in fact, if you think about it, to a certain extent, they could have done it easily because the costume was just the picked it up as he went along yeah, in the hospital, right. and never had a chance to change. Yeah, and he went on again about the wig, didn't he? Yeah, didn't like the wig, and he said, you know, what he, what he was trying to uh, twist Philip Siegel's arm because he's had his hair cut very short for a a, a part yeah. in another, like an army play he was in TV thing, and uh, yeah. So he said, "Come on, let's have let's have the short hair." And he said, and "Eccleston did everything then, didn't he? he? Had the short hair, the leather jacket." Yeah. He said, "That's what you wanted to do back in uh, was it nineteen ninety five when they filmed it, wasn't it?" Yeah. So yeah, but then went on again about how the 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 scheduling of it killed it basically before it even got off the ground. It was up against some basketball finals. Daphne Ashbrook said, and it was up against the last episode of Roseanne, wasn't it? That was it. Yeah. So yeah, it was it was never going to catch on over there. But um, again, it was mentioned it was a big success over here. Yeah. But ah, well, it's we 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 know what happened after that. It never yeah. it, you know it never never took off. Well, but, and uh, perhaps we wouldn't have got what we've got now. Possibly not. Possibly so, not. It may have been a blessing in disguise. We don't know. Well, it is really considering that um, if if you know what Philip Siegel's plans were, had it gone to a series with this whole thing of the. Uh, what was it? Oh crikey! Was it was it that the master and the doctor were brothers, and the doctor's father Ulysses, and and oh dear, it sounded awful. Yeah, actually, it did sound pretty awful. So yeah, maybe as you say, a blessing in disguise. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Right. Okay. I think that pretty much wraps up the news and our little uh, of, uh, very very concise potted. Review of, uh, of the the uh, BBF, uh, BBFC. <laughs> What's the BBFC? I don't even know what that is. <laughs> British Board of Film Classification. Um, yeah, the BFI. Sorry, event. So it's one of those things you have to be there really to, yeah, you know, to, to see it. Uh, we have got some photographs up on our uh, Facebook group, uh, which is the the you can find that on our website. Actually, the link to that. Uh, yeah, we got to, we took some photographs at, uh, at both events, uh, which you can see on our on our group. If you're interested, of course. If you're interested, of course. So, um, actually, one just one very, very quick mention. Um, during the week, we got a, a fantastic email, didn't we? Yes. Um, off of uh, a listener. Simon, if you're listening, thank you very, very much uh, for that email, friends. That was uh, very, very uh, much appreciated. 
And uh, <laughs> just say, keep listening. Thanks for listening. Yes. That's all we're going to say. Thank you for listening. I uh, say so it was it was a, a a wonderful email to receive, and uh, I'm glad we sort of. Uh, Unga says I'm glad we 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 helped you along the way. Yes. That's all we're going to say. So nice to hear from you. Okay, and folks. So that's it. So coming up very very uh, very shortly is our review of Death Steel. So for another week, then that was the news. <laughs> Right then, it's time to delve into our review of the latest in the Destiny of the Doctor audio range, and this time we're discussing the Tenth Doctor story, Death's Deal. Mayday, Mayday. This is Merchant Vessel Caliban requesting assistance. We are down and disabled on Death's Deal. Please respond. Donna Noble swerved out of the way as a madman in a brown pinstripe suit dashed around the TARDIS console. Can you find them? Trying. Masses of interference, said the doctor. They'd landed in a valley that was sand and shingle underfoot. Surrounding them were wind-carved mountains looking like a sunset of solid cloud. A thick grey sky hung above. It felt humid and smelt of damp. It's the middle of nowhere, the doctor patted the blue box. Why have you landed us here, eh? Donna? I'm okay. We're both okay. Donna, I can't reach you. The doctor looked off. There's no time to reach you. They're coming. We'll find a way out. I'll be okay, doctor. Go and find Erskine. Do do what you need to do. I'll look for the TARDIS. Make myself useful. The doctor smiled. Like always, Donna Noble. What are you looking at? Those weird mountains? They're not mountains, said the doctor. They're giant coral. Humid climate. Acid rain. This planet is one massive reef of land coral, alive and always hungry. No wonder it's called the deadliest planet in the galaxy. Doctor Who. Death Steel by Darren Jones, performed by Catherine Tate with Duncan Wisby as Crux and Erskine, and is a big finish production for Audio Go. Okay, it's my turn. Definitely my turn to go first, isn't it? Yes. Definitely. Um, I did actually quite enjoy this one. Good. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> yeah, I did enjoy it. It was, um, I thought it was well read by Catherine Tate. Uh, did this one? She read this, and I thought for the most part she was very, very good at it. Yeah. To be honest. Uh, yeah, totally agree with that. Yeah, I thought it was great. And that's I, our review. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, I thought that the story by Darren Jones was quite unique. Yeah, I mean, well, it, to be it was a proper science fiction story that actually. I probably would have enjoyed had it not even been Doctor Who. Uh, yes, I think so. Actually, uh, I, I mean that's okay. Let's just say there's spoilers in our review here, as 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 yes. always. So we'll, we'll, we always forget to say this at the beginning. Uh, so let's get it out of the way now. There there there'll be spoilers ahead. That's what yes. we're going to say. Uh, yeah, the whole thing about sort of like receiving all those distress calls as well. I mean, that sounds a little bit like uh, the Doctor's wife to begin with. With, with you know, with all the uh, the Doctor could hear all the uh, the, the Time Lord distress calls. Yeah, I suppose so. A little bit like that. Of course, it's got nothing to do with Time Lords. Um, no. But basically, they sort of land on this uh, planet, which is known as, it's called Death Still, and it's the most dangerous planet in the universe or something, isn't it? Yeah. And just after they arrive, there's a like a, a, a pleasure cruise lands uh, on the planet as well. Um, basically, sort of, they're not allowed to sort of 
walk off the beaten track because the place is so dangerous, then you find out why, don't you? Yes. As the uh, basically something comes out of the ground and starts sort of killing all the passengers and then knocks out the uh, the, the pleasure craft as it tries to take off as well. So, it's, you, so it's, Yeah, so, you get very early, you get, this is not going to be a happy story. No, it's not. Uh, there, there is a lot of deaths in this one. Yes. Well, uh, quite a lot of gruesome deaths at that. Yes. Uh, yeah, more to the point, yeah. Yeah, uh, because basically the planet they landed on is like a gigantic coral reef. And unlike an ordinary coral reef, it's full of uh, predators and things that just want to eat you. Yes, basically. literally everything wants to kill. Yeah, indeed. Uh, yeah, which which it basically does. <laughs> yes. But it's, it was very, very um, descriptively written, and as, as I said, well read by Catherine Tate, because I, I was beginning to wonder what she would be like uh, reading the serious stuff, because I think that's was, that was everyone's concern when she took over the role of uh, you know, full-time as, as Donald Noble, was that thing of she's just like she's in the Catherine Tate show. Yeah, but when it comes to the dramatic reading, she—I thought she was very, very good, very good. Yeah, she she quite underplayed the reading, didn't she? Yeah, and so actually, you then got quite a good um, difference when she actually went into d- doing the characters. Yeah, there was a good juxtaposition between that, wasn't there? Because yeah. I mean, she was doing quite a few characters, and I think for the first time, um. One of the sort of like the, the person or the main person reading one of these audio stories has had their voice sort of digitally enhanced for yeah. certain characters as well. Uh, was it the, uh, I'm trying to think which one she did, uh, Friends, didn't she? Yes. She who was the Friends. Friends, who was the the tour guide who met uh, basically Death by Limpet, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. Again, which was, again, pretty gruesome in its description. It went into some detail, didn't it? It did, a lot of detail. And then when she's attacked, you're getting the the same detail going on there. Yeah, I say it was very, very, very good. I mean, even sort of the thing that um, the whole thing about that you know the doctor was trying to uh, sort of avoid was the discovery or this mining operation was was coming in, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, to start harvesting slaughter crystals. Yeah, and we, he had to stop that. He had to stop that, and. Basically, you get a description right near the end of why they are called slaughter crystals, don't you? Yeah. You get a sort of a little bit of a demonstration because the only actually because that the character called uh, uh, Grugan yes meets his demise, and that was the only character I didn't particularly like, mainly because he was called a space pirate, and that just, yeah. that just sounds a little bit. It's always sounds a little bit. It's a bit shorthand, wasn't short, it? Yeah, I'm trying to think of the best. Best way to describe I'm I'm a space pirate. It just sounds so like a kid would play. Well, I mean, actually, what you find out is that he isn't that old. No, he's not. He's just not no more than a kid himself, isn't he? Yeah, you'd think he's a what late teens. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, so he's sort of acting the hard man, isn't he? It just yeah. it's, it's, it's just the phrase space pirate. I've never it's, I've, it's, I've never liked it. Sort, it, so. it sort of comes into this attitude that he comes from a. A family. It's almost like a, a tr- almost like a tradition, you know, that yeah, he's well, come through. Didn't they, didn't they sort of come? With, was it a fifth generation? Yeah. space pirate or something. Yeah, so he's always been brought up this way, and this yeah. is how he sees the world. Yeah, I mean, okay. It, Which is obviously why he's got into it so young. Yeah, indeed, indeed, because obviously he was after the the treasure uh, on on the planet, which were the slaughter crystals. 
he just he just thought this because the basically the whole thing about these all these distress signals that Doctor picks up on are old distress beacons and signals. Yeah, because uh, there've been so many ships have crashed there. Well, it, when he's after, he thinks there's there's a ship called the Howling Jupiter. Yeah, which he thinks there is a treasure on. Yeah, and he thinks everything that's been said about this planet has been almost made up as to keep people off of it. Yeah. Oh, so you're talking about Grugan now? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. To stop the for people going going to this ship and getting the treasure. Yeah. Well, there is something in that, isn't there? Well, no, because he doesn't... Well... There is, because there, there is a still one ship left, isn't there? Because that's where you meet Professor Erskine. Yeah. But they go to the Howling Jupiter, don't they? And they, they don't find the treasure, because that's where the signals coming from that they follow that's yeah. the signal to the doctor yeah and it's actually his future it's the 11th doctor sending the signal basically yeah and his he's task is to keep Erskine alive yes that's all he had to do keep Erskine alive um, so all throughout that you're, you're assuming it's Professor Erskine yes uh, no, but I must, what I want to explain about all the before I get onto uh, onto him was the fact that all these beacons that they're the reason why the planet is so hostile yeah, it's, it's as, a, as we find out. As we find it, because it's the technology that's sending it all crazy. Yeah. That's the whole thing. So but it was the whole thing of putting it back to as nature intended, really. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, um, but playing Professor Erskine, um, and actually also another character called uh, Crux as well, was Duncan Wisby. And I actually thought he was very, very good. Well, he is a, a voice artist, isn't he? Yeah. We sort of heard of him through being an impersonator or yeah, whatever so yeah because we, we actually thought he was going to do some sort of impersonation possibly of david tennant weren't we but yeah uh but yeah he, i mean he was very good I, I particularly liked his crux character yeah i really did like his crux character i mean that was um again he, he was sort of he was like a half man half mollusk himself wasn't he yeah which comes in very handy it does it does yeah. But you actually did feel for the characters, even as quickly as they were introduced and some of them disposed of. Well, they you, did... you, yeah, you got a sense of what they were like. As you say, some of them were very, very brief. Yeah. Uh, but you did get a, a, a handle on them, didn't you? Yeah. Because was it the, uh, what was the, the, the posh one? Was it Quinn? Quinn, sorry, Quoline. Is it Quoline? Quilline or Quoline or something? Quilline. Quilline, that was it, Quilline. Well, that we get there in the end. Uh, yeah, you just sort of like, yeah, she was just a, um, it was almost sort of like a, like an Agatha Christie thing, or, or like one of those sort of like, you get shipwrecked somewhere, and you've got like the upper class person, you've got like, yes. the, you've got the the cheeky cockney, you've got the, uh, sort of the, 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 uh, the, the, the one person left from the ship's crew, and all that sort of thing, um, and it sort of ticked and the And the hunter. And the hunter, <laughs> indeed, yeah, so you, you've got all... Yeah, you always got the one who's, who's good at adapting to survival and all that, you know, yeah. um, live off the lands. So, yeah, it was. It, so it ticked all those boxes, but then proceeded to kill them off quite quickly. Yeah. But you get the doctor's comment, isn't there? There's always one with a gun. Yes. I like that. There's also mention of the master as well, wasn't there? Yeah. He's sort of about. He's. he's um, was his arch enemy was good at um, was it hypnotism, wasn't it? Yeah. Because that's the whole thing with, with the limpets, because they couldn't move. Because when uh, friends meets his demise, he's just standing there basically as this limpet engulfs him. And the same thing happens to Don. She says, oh, what, what did they do, hypnotise me? And he said, well, he's mentioned something about, well, yeah, I'd use something like my arch enemy used to do that. Yeah. So, again, it was just sort of, if you knew what he was talking about, it was fine. 
Yeah. Even though during Tennant's time, he never did the, the whole hypnotism thing, really, did he? No. Not like that. Anyway, I know he had the sort of like the whole perception filter thing and he was able to sort of con the, the UK into voting for him. But, uh, you know, Mr. Saxon, but he didn't do the whole you are the master, you will obey me thing that uh, no. Delgado used to do. But but again, it's, it's a, it was another good thing of if you understand the reference, that's all the better. Yeah. If he does, it's just a throwaway line. You think, oh, I wonder who that could have been. Yeah. But no, I like, you know, it was good. It was good. I liked it. But then you saw when you do meet Professor Erskine. Actually, I've forgotten that there's one other. Um, there's Grugan's sort of uh, partner in crime lyric. Yes. Uh, who isn't, who she, who she really is, is, is she, to begin no. with? I mean, you start off that she's just sort of the, she like, for one of a better phrase, gangster's mole, isn't it? Yeah, certainly? that's right. That's right. And you sort of eventually, when you sort of meet Erskine, at the end, that's when you find out that um, it's actually his daughter. Yes. Come to come to find him. And uh, well, poor old Erskine's lost his mind, though, hasn't he? Yeah. And actually, one of the best parts of this is the fact, actually, you're waiting for him to suddenly remember and it ought to be a happy ending. And, really, and it isn't. No. There, there's nothing at all that's happy about it. No. It, it basically tries to kill everybody. Yeah. And, and yeah. Sa- sacrifice them back to the land. Because yeah. he's, he's sort of... Uh, I try to think of a comparison, and there's another story where someone sort of like, um, oh, I just can't think, can't think what it is, but yeah, basically he's gone native, really, isn't he? Yeah, I think it's probably the best way to best way to put it. But usually in these things, you would you'd, you'd be the you'd get the spark and you'd get suddenly you'd get the recognition, and it'd be my daughter and that sort of stuff. Oh, right at the very end, you get I remember. It was all, yeah. You didn't get any of that at all, did you? You didn't know. No, literally, the the only bit to it is the fact that he then takes off his locket to give to her. Yeah, that was only sort of like little bit of trace memory. There was wasn't a brief it? bit there, and that is literally then that's it. That's him out of it. Yeah, um, and you sort of think, oh, the doctor hasn't saved Erskine. But yeah, of course he has because there's another Erskine. Yeah. So I, I, I like that little twist actually because I thought he was going to be Professor Erskine. He had to save. Mm. Well, uh, we've had that, haven't we? Because we've had two previous in this series where he's had to save the person mm. and he has done yeah so to actually then just have that little twist on the fact that you think oh here we go again he's yeah, got to save this is he's got to save professor erskine yeah and you're thinking well, what's he going to do now as he's falling down into the the thing and no doesn't do anything well i, th- I can't don't... do anything no that's it actually another thing i liked about this as well was i know throughout these other audio stories and it, it's a staple of Doctor Who the Doctor and his companion at some point in the story will get split up yeah and they meet, meet together in the end I think um, the others haven't quite worked as well as this one to be honest because I like the fact that sort of Donna went off with uh, with Crux and they yeah. had, had their own little uh, sort of adventure going on they're the one they sort of find because the TARDIS goes missing in, in all this as well doesn't it yeah it gets swallowed up by uh some gigantic creature that comes out of the out of the ground. Uh, so not only is it to, is it a, a race to sort of save Erskine and stop the mining ships uh, arriving to get the slaughter crystals, they've also got to find the TARDIS as well. Yeah. So there's like three things going on there, and for an hour long story, I thought that it was handled very very well. It does, and actually, you say an hour long story, it's just how quickly this goes. It was quick. Cause I must admit, some of them have dragged. But this and this was, just this it, just went, didn't it? And you suddenly thought, "Oh, right, is that it?" 
Yeah, you but, know, but, but not not in a oh, oh, is that it? Yeah, not not in a not in a. I wanted more oh, of that. Just oh, just in the fact that oh god, that's an hour gone. Yeah, yeah, it was it was really fast paced. Yeah, really really good. I mean, I I would re- I mean, out of the the ten we've had so far, that's sort of appearing in my my sort of top five or very high in my top five now. I think this is actually my favourite. Yeah, I think so. Just just from the fact that I think it is a really good story. And a and set up, yeah. Um, and it it could have worked without being a as I said, it could work without being a Doctor Who story. It works really well in actually the I think the characterization of the of the Doctor into it and yeah. Donna into it. And yeah, I just really liked it as a piece of this is a sort of science fiction story that got me interested in science fiction. Yeah, it's because it's it's quite as I said, it's like a survival story just set on an yeah. alien planet. And it's yeah. it's been done to death, not just in Doctor Who, but in all sorts of uh, all sorts of other media, films and and TV series and books and God knows what. But but the way it was written, the way it was it was read and acted, it it, it made it almost seem fresh again, didn't it? Yeah, and you just did the I mean, say the way it's written, you did feel the sense of danger all the time. Yeah, because everywhere they went, there was no safe hiding place, was there? There was no. always something there to, pretty much like a coral. Yeah, it was like a coral reef. You know, there was there was always something there will, that will. It's always hungry. It's there to that. That's yeah. what it does. You know. Yeah, you never had a point where the characters sat down and talked through what they was going to do or what they was. It literally was well, next next thing we've got to run from. Yeah, and in between, as as we said, um, you had the Doctor and Donna split up at one point in, in the story. You had like a couple of sort of cliffhangers, didn't you, for each of them? Yeah. So it sort of left them, it sort of, the Doctor had a cliffhanger and it went back to Donna, then Donna had a cliffhanger and it went back to the Doctor, then another cliffhanger with the Doctor and it's back to Donna again. So I, I liked the way that worked. Yeah. I really did like that. It was, it, it set up some some extra tension because it was already quite tense anyway because you're already, you're already on a planet where everything's going to kill you. Yeah, you know, and then to add in extra tension into that, I thought it was it was great. I loved it. I really did love love this one. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a case that I think while we've been going through these, the ones that have been set off of uh, off of Earth, I've tended to enjoy more than the ones that they've set on Earth. And I just really did enjoy this one. I mean, as we, we've always sort of put the benchmark as being the second Doctor story, haven't we? Yeah, that that is still my favourite. That one. Um, and why I like that, it was it was very formulaic to the Second Doctor, which which I know we've been saying, oh well, you know that's good, and they've done that. Yeah. Um, but I think if they'd done all ten like that, it might have been a bit boring. Well, they've all. Maybe we should we should save this conversation for when the eleventh one. Yeah. Is but out. But, but I think this but, is why I really like this one, just because I just liked it as a story. Well, they all have tried something different, haven't they? Yeah. You know, each of the story, none of them have been the same. Okay, maybe some of the the Lymph Doctor's quests for for his past selves have been a bit samey. You know, keep this person alive, or you must get this bit of technology. Blah blah blah. But as you said, this one turned it on its head a little bit. Yeah, and you wonder whether this was the you've had the other two as as this one then was the payoff to that. Yeah, to get you thinking. Oh well, here we go again, and then yeah. no, <laughs> no, that's it. Yeah, he, he, <laughs> yeah, it never worked out at all. Yeah, I thought no. it was. I thought it was good. I think. I think my favorite is still Shadows of Death. I think this is definitely my, my second favorite. 
and the third one was Shockwave, the Seventh Doctor story. Yeah, yeah, I think I'd probably agree with that so far. Yeah, I really did like that one. Uh, but yeah, but who 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 knows what will happen when when the eleventh one comes out? Yeah, so now we're waiting for the eleventh one to tie it all together, aren't we? Indeed, we are. And apparently, that one's called the Time Machine, read by Jenna Coleman. Yeah, and it's also got Nicholas Briggs and Michael Cochran mm. as the guest artists as well. So, uh, so yeah. More of yeah. that next month. More of that next month, indeed. And I'm really looking forward. We we wondered, didn't we, whether we'd get to what what stage we'd get through these and start thinking, oh no, gonna do that. We set ourselves up to do these now. Yeah, but do you know, they I'm varied, glad we've stuck with it. I am as well. They have varied in quality. Yeah, they really have. There's some I've outright detested, um, but it, it's been it's been interesting and entertaining listening to them all, though. Yeah. And as I, I said, it's been a, world, a worthwhile exercise. It has been. It really has been. It's been fantastic, actually. So, unfortunately, just one more to go. Yes. Just one more to go. What a shame. What a shame. Anyway, I, th- I think, shall we, shall we leave that there? Yeah, I think so. A good place to leave it. good place to leave it. So, next week, then, we're going to go back to our target reviews. And yes. just to tie in with... Well, really, sort of, sort of a, a very loose tie into the fact it's the 50th anniversary. We're going back to where it all began. We're doing um, An Unearthly Child. Yes. So, yeah, so we will be reviewing that next week. Okay, then. So, until then, it is goodbye from me, Phil. And goodbye from me, Paul. Goodbye. to the Who's He podcast. Please visit our website at who's-he-podcast.co.uk. You can also follow us on Twitter at who's underscore he underscore podcast. And please also join the Who's He podcast Facebook group. The Who's He podcast is a member of the Doctor Who Podcast Alliance. Mm-hmm.